If you've got a Bible, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we'll be starting this morning. And as Aaron was describing to you earlier, we've been looking in recent weeks at four big truths of the Christian faith, four big truths that that gather us together as a worshiping body, as a church, upon which we stand and in which we have great hope. We've looked at, at the doctrine of Scripture. We've thought about that question of how can I know what truth is? And then justification, how can I be right with God? And sanctification, how can I really change? Because the gospel is for today and it calls for change. And now, this morning, as Aaron pointed out, we're going to take a look at at glorification, the doctrine of glorification, answering the question, what hope can I have looking forward? And so, young Christians, in this passage of Scripture, as you listen, you young disciples, to Paul writing to the Corinthians, he compares his body with a tent. Why does he do that? Why does he compare his body with a tent? And what does he think about that tent? So you young disciples can think about that, maybe draw a picture as we go along. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start actually in verse 13. Paul writes, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, we pray that You would grant that we might see Your truth here. Would you give to us your spirit? Because apart from your spirit working, we will not see. We will be blind and we will walk in darkness. But Lord, by your spirit, you give us light. And we pray that you would do that even this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This life, you know, is 
but a flash in the pan. It goes by so quickly that we have cliches. Our, our language is riddled with cliches to that effect. You know, an, an older uh, person, a, a grandparent perhaps might say to a young mother, enjoy them while they're young. They'll grow up fast. And depending on your perspective, you may or may not recognize that, but certainly as you get older, you do. Enjoy them while they're young. Or a seven-year-old will say to his father, Dad, remember when we used to go skiing for family vacations? And Dad will say, that was just last year. And the seven-year-old doesn't quite have the perspective that Dad does, and so Dad can say, listen, son, the older you get, the faster time flies. That's what we say, right? Because the older you get, the faster it seems to go. The younger you are, it doesn't quite seem that way. Or even a 28-year-old anticipating a 10-year high school reunion is going to say inevitably, it seems like just yesterday we were walking across that stage, graduating together. We all say those things, those cliches, because in the spectrum of history, our days are so brief. And we know it. I mean, Scripture puts it this way in Psalm 90. Moses wrote it like this. He said, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. And Moses there is writing in the perspective of all of of eternity and saying to God, a a thousand years is like a day. But to us, we have 70, maybe 80 years if we're strong enough. And that's all. It sounds like a lot, but it's just not. Worldly glory fades away so fast. I mean, you just have to think about the Winter Olympics that are going on right now. And and daily for the past couple of weeks, athletes will stand up on the medal podium with their gold or silver or bronze and their moment of glory in all the world and their eyes are on them and, and their name is known. But 20 years from now, will you even remember that the Winter Olympics were in Sochi, Russia? You won't even remember that name, much less the people who stood on the podium. They themselves may not remember it very well. Their medals will be packed up in boxes in the attic because moments of glory pass by so quickly. I think that one of the most unique moments in our church life together here at New St. Peter's is at the end of every worship service when we say together, calling out, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's such a fitting way to end a worship service because it calls attention to glorification. It calls attention to that. Together we come together and say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. As though we're pleading as we ought to be. Oh, Lord, come. Come. Because even with the strong foundation of truth that Scripture provides for us, and even with the eradication of guilt which justification provides for us, And even with the hope of change here and now that sanctification provides for us, still in this world we feel heartache and pain and disappointment and unfulfilled longings. We all do. And yet, Paul says, you can not lose heart. You can be of good courage. How? By believing what Paul proclaims Here, the gospel is for yesterday, the gospel is for today, 
And the gospel is for tomorrow as well. By the grace of that gospel, be of good courage, she says, because he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him. To understand glorification, you have to recognize that in it, God turns certain worldly conventions totally on their heads. It's what he does. Glorification means that believing is not seeing. Verse 13, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's been writing to them about his ministry among them and among others elsewhere in the Mediterranean world. And Paul writes, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, and now he quotes from the Old Testament, Psalm 116, According to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Therefore, we also believe and we also speak. Paul's quoting from from this Old Testament psalm of confidence, a psalm in which the writer expresses the fact that he has faced death and been in the low place and God rescued him from it. And therefore, he speaks. Words come to him because of what he believes about his sovereign God who cares for him. And the writer of that psalm says, I believed and so I spoke. Or I believed and therefore I prayed, O God. And Paul says, just as it's been written like that, so we too believe and therefore speak. So what does Paul believe? He believes that God who raised Jesus will also raise us with him. Now Paul was, of course, much closer to all the history of that than we are. Paul perhaps didn't witness the risen Christ himself as hundreds did, but Paul was so much closer to the history and he had seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He hadn't maybe witnessed Jesus in the days after his resurrection, but time after he did, Paul had seen that, but he knew that the Corinthians would not. He knew that their believing would be not seeing. And so he writes, he elaborates, he says, We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, so you just have to leave it to kids to bring up things like this. Kids talk about profound things that adults have either forgotten about or just don't see anymore in our, our, our age, I guess. One Sunday evening after our sold classes, our School of Life and Doctrine, the Christian education classes that we have on Sunday evening, our kids had been in a class where I think Mr. Murray was talking on the, teaching them about the Apostles' Creed, and they had on that particular Sunday evening been talking about, about hell, because the Creed talks about Jesus descending into hell, and and they had drawn a picture of what hell might look like. And that brings about all kinds of creative pictures on the part of children, drawing what hell might look like. But those drawings led to some conversation in the car on the way home. It was fascinating as they kind of talked and and thought about that. And, And one of them finally said, so what's the point of it all anyway? I mean, we're born and we live and we die. So what? What's the point of it all? And why do we value the things that we value anyway? Why do we put so much value on paper 
And I said, what do you mean? Paper. And he said, well, you can give a stack of paper to someone and they have to give you something in return like a car or a house. He meant money, cash money. Why do we put so much value on pieces of paper with green print on them, cash money, and you can get something big in return for a stack of paper? Why do we put such value on such things? What's the point of it all? This is what you might call meta-thinking, kind of like metaphysics. It's, It's thinking above thinking, thinking about thinking. People do that. You do that. As a person, you think about what you think about. And that's what our kids were doing. It was fascinating. These are the big questions of life. Where's it all going? What's the point of it all? Does life simply equal a retirement account and a beautiful view? And peace and contentment in the end? No, Paul says, the biggest thing is what you can't see. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal, he says. And Paul ties all this together between sanctification and glorification. Do you see what he did? He said, the outer self is wasting away, but the inner self is being renewed. Now he's talking, I think, about more than just receding hairlines and knee replacements. The outer self, wasting away. He's talking about the body is dying, but so is the old nature. So is your old nature. You're being made new. And the light momentary affliction of sanctification, he says, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's he talking about here? In verse 8, which we didn't read before this, the context of the, of the chap, chapter 4 Paul was describing, again, his ministry to the Corinthians and and his ministry overall. And he he wrote there about how he had been afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. And now he calls that light momentary affliction. Do you think he's understating it maybe just a bit? I mean, if I endured some of those things, I don't think I would call it light at all. It's pretty profound affliction. But Paul is simply seeing that what he believes trumps what he sees. And what he believes tells him that the eternal is profoundly greater than the present. Now, I can't not quote C.S. Lewis having read this verse here. And I just will do it unapologetically. And I'm sure I'll do it many times. And I've done it before. In C.S. Lewis's great and famous essay called The Weight of Glory, named after this very verse here, he says this, A man's physical hunger does not prove that he will find bread. But it does prove he comes of a race which repairs its body by eating and inhabits a world where edible things exist. In the same way, though I don't believe my desire for paradise proves that I shall enjoy it, I think it a pretty good indication that such a thing exists. You know what you see in this world. And in your heart of hearts, you know you know that there's something better that you don't see. You know it. Because you get hints of it all the time. Every day of your life, you get hints of it in the things that you do see and that you touch and that you feel and that you taste, that you smell and that you hear. Some months ago, my father had back surgery. And he laid in the hospital bed for one night. He was required to stay for a night. And and he was there that night, and I knew he was laying in his hospital bed and had a phone beside him. And as one of our kids practiced piano, I called my dad on the phone, spoke to him for a bit, and I said, as he laid laid there on on his side, he he couldn't move because of the surgery, and he was laying there. And 
And I said, uh, I said, Dad, do you want to hear a little piano? And so he said, of course. He loves music. He's a great lover of music. And, and so one of our kids played, as I held the phone near the piano, Pachelbel's Canon. And when the piece was done, my dad was choked up. He almost couldn't speak. He was so grateful for what he had heard that he was beginning to tear up. Why? Because the beauty of heaven was transferred from the fingers of a child to the ears of an old man whose body was failing him. And it gave him life. You see hints of this every day. Every day, if you just open your eyes and look around, you see and feel and and smell and touch and taste and hear hints of this every day that there's something that you don't see that's greater than what you do. Lewis goes on and explains this even further in his essay. He says, We call such things beauty and behave as if that settled the matter, but that's a cheat. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, They will break the heart of their worshipers. You know that what you see is not all there is. You know it. What you see is only transient. What you see is not going to last. The unseen is what's eternal because believing is not seeing. Paul then takes another worldly convention and turns it on its head to explain glorification because glorification means... That for the Christian, groaning is not despairing. Groaning is not despairing. Verse chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to, be put, to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan. So what's the tent? It's his body. It's it's his physical life. Our bodies, which we see, are transient. They too will go. They are like a tent, blown and battered by the wind and the rain and the elements around them. They're weak and they fail. From the basic uh, tent-like elements, you scrape your knee or you break your arm or you crack your tooth to the more tragic sort of things, an accidental paralysis or a birth defect or a suicide, to even the more subtle lie that our world tells us and we want so badly to believe that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's not true. We hurt each other with words all the time, even when we don't mean to, maybe especially when we don't mean to. And yet we crush one another with words. And we are crushed by words because in this tent you will groan, Paul says. It is, in a sense, a permission to cry. Paul's saying, in this tent, in this world, it's not how it's supposed to be. And you're going to be hurt. You're going to cry. There will be reasons to be broken and to grieve. And that's okay because so much is not right here. But, he says, earthly groaning despairs and bemoans all that's wrong here. 
But gospel groaning is not despairing. It rather looks toward heaven. What does he say in verse 2? He says, in this tent we groan, what? Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. The world says that in this tent now we have life. This is as good as it gets. This is what we have to hope for and just do the best you can to make the most of what you have now because in this tent, this is where you have life. Paul says, no, in this tent we groan for something better. Remember Romans 8, we looked at it a bit last week. Paul writes the same thing there. He says, the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth and we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for redemption. Our, our longing for heaven shows this. We, we long for our heavenly dwelling. Moments ago, we read from the Old Testament, from 2 Samuel 6, David had become king of Israel. And he was recovering the ark because he so longed for the presence of God to come into the city. David wanted the presence of God. He longed for his heavenly dwelling. And so he rightly sought to recover the ark of God, which was the very presence of God in the Old Testament. And it all went wrong. It all went wrong. An ox stumbled, a cart tipped, a man reached out. It all went wrong. And David was afraid. And did you hear his despair, in a sense, in a worldly way? He says, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? He so desired to have the presence of God with him, to have his heavenly dwelling, that he called out, how can this be? How can this come? David longed for the the presence of God, but the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, as David saw, is so far apart that it's impossible. A man can't just reach out and touch the holiness of God, lest he be struck dead. But in the righteousness of Christ, in justification... God comes down. We're starting up ministry committees here in our congregation. And many of you are now on those, and those are beginning to, to get started this past week. And uh, in some sense, I've begun to realize that, that those are opportunities for great ministry. They're also opportunities for great conflict. Because as, you know, five, six, seven people come together on a particular idea and talk about brainstorm and think about ways to do ministry in our church, there are going to be disagreements. And you have to know that a, that a committee like that is not something you can come into with an agenda. You can't come in and say, I'm going to get my way. Inevitably, though, we all have our own agendas, don't we? We all want what we want, and we want it when we want it, and we want it in the way that we want it. And inevitably, there's going to be some conflict there and disagreement Is that a reason not to do them? No. It's actually a reason to do them. Because it's an opportunity for us not just to do great ministry, but to root out the idols of our own hearts. And to long instead to put away this earthly dwelling and put on the heavenly dwelling that God alone in glorification can provide. So be of good courage then, because believing is not seeing And groaning is not despairing. Paul finally then says, the big one, death is not dying. Death is not dying. Verse 4, here at the the end of this verse, he says something that's totally absurd in the eyes of the world. He says, while we're in this tent, we groan, not to be unclothed, that is, free to the old tent, 
but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Glorification means that death is not dying. In glorification, the mortal is overtaken by the living. The, the one that's dying is overtaken by the one that is eternally living. Death is not dying. The standard convention of this world is that you are born, you grow old, and you die. People do it, animals do it, plants do it. That's the way that this world functions in its fallen state. And that's what we expect. But you have to remember that believing is not seeing. And there is more to this existence, and you know it. You know it. After all, Paul says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God himself, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In other words, God has made a down payment. He's made a down payment on your death so that it might not be dying, so that you might have life. Again, remember Romans 8, by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. That sonship, the Spirit has guaranteed godliness. Remember, Paul, Paul says there, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he what? He glorified. It's just as sure as done, he says. The Spirit has guaranteed it, that your death is not dying. D.L. Moody was a Civil War era minister in Chicago and had a profound ministry there as an evangelist. And to his friends one day, he said this. He said, someday in the papers you're going to read, D.L. Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone higher, that's all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that sin cannot touch, a body fashioned after his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837 and born of the Spirit in 1855. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the Spirit will live forever, so that what is mortal is swallowed up by life. Moody recognized what Jim Elliot would recognize equally a hundred years later, and that's this. The destruction of the earthly tent means nothing if the construction of the other tent is eternal. That's what Jim Elliot would recognize a hundred years later as he prepared to go to South America to take the gospel, to take this hope of glorification to those who hadn't heard it yet, Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot had a profound picture of glorification in his heart. He believed the truth of this, and therefore he went to take this news to those who had not heard, and he stood on a sandbar in a river in the jungle and died for it, because he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. The more that you believe the gospel, the more that you would, as Paul says, rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I have two nephews who are buried in a cemetery about two miles from here down Northwest Highway. Sixteen years ago, my brother and his wife were expecting twins. And at 22 weeks into their pregnancy, 
they learned that the boys, Connor and Jacob, already named, had died in the womb. And I traveled from St. Louis to Waco, where they lived at that time, to be with them and to grieve with them. And when I arrived at their house there, I can remember giving my brother a, a big hug. He had come from the hospital where they had, had the babies had been stillborn, and he held his twin boys, Connor and Jacob, in his hands. They were this small. And they had died. And I hugged my brother in, in tears, and I, I said, I'm so sorry. I mean, what do you say at that moment? I'm so sorry. I love you. And he responded and said, it's okay. In tears, it's okay, because we will see them again. And at that moment, I, I gave one of the most profound pastoral answers that I could ever give in three simple words. I said, yes, you will. And they will, because they have the hope of glory. Glorification turns upside down all the worldly conventions. It does. Because believing is not seeing. Groaning is not despairing. And death is not dying. So be of good courage. Your God knows your condition. And one day, someday, He will take all that's wrong and make it all totally and completely right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.